Have you ever heard someone accused of being self-righteous? I'm sure you probably have. Uh, in fact, it's a kind of a favorite accusation that's leveled against those uh, if there's a disagreement, a religious disagreement of some kind or another. If I disagree with you or you disagree with me, it, it's kind of common for people to throw out the accusation, Yo, you're just being self-righteous. My guess that is in the assembled number of us who are here this morning, there have been lots of us who have at one time or another been called self-righteous. And so we want to make sure that we have an accurate definition of terms. Those who throw out this accusation need to make sure that they properly understand what it means. What is the right definition of being self-righteous? I read a quote Sometime back, I thought it was a pretty good one. Someone says, if you're going to insult me, please do so accurately. And so if you're going to call me self-righteous, make sure you understand what self-righteousness is. And we want to look to the Word of God today to see if we can get a good handle and a proper understanding of what it is to be self-righteous. I want to stop here just briefly to thank you all for being here today. We're very grateful for the good number who are assembled uh, as was already mentioned, we've got a good number of visitors and we're grateful for your coming our way. And we want to certainly make you feel welcome and invite you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. As we study along together this morning from the Word of God, uh, if you have any questions or, or, or possibly even if there's something you disagree about, please bring that to my attention and we'll sit down together and get our Bibles open and make sure we get the right answer to those questions. We want to certainly use the Word of God accurately. And so if there's any question, please let me know. All right, so self-righteous. What does it mean to be self-righteous? I want to start out by talking about some of the things that self-righteousness is not. You know, a lot of times when we define terms, we can talk about what it is, what it is not. We're going to start with what it is not uh, in our study this morning. Self-righteousness is not, for instance, acknowledging that one way is better than another. Some people would argue that. It's a very popular idea that what's right for you may not be right for me. Uh, and, and we can just agree to disagree. Uh, I'm okay, you're okay, that sort of concept. One church is just as good as another. One way is just as good as another. Uh, thus, since that's become such a popular idea... If we say, no, that's wrong. Or if we're to say, here is the right way that that should be done, then we're going to very often be accused of being self-righteous. In other words, if we just simply say there's a right way and a wrong way, some people are going to throw out that charge, you're being self-righteous. But one way is better than others, and other ways are wrong. There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a right way and every other way is wrong. All of that could be said. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, you remember this famous statement? Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in them. Notice, there is the good way. Notice, there is the good way. When we talk grammatically, when, when we see that word the, we call it the definite article. A definite article describes that of which there is just one. 
Notice that Jeremiah didn't say there where is a good way. If he said there is a good way, the suggestion would be there are potentially other good ways. But he says there is the good way. Maybe to illustrate that very simply, I could say this is the baptistry here at College View. And you would understand by that, I mean, there aren't any others. You can search the building over. There are no other baptistries here. That is the baptistry. There's just one. On the other hand, if I said, this is a baptistry here at College View, then you would be left with the impression that you might investigate throughout this building and find other baptistries tucked away in other places. But this word, the, the, which is the definite article, means there is just one. And so when Jeremiah said there is a good way, he's saying there is just one. Later in that same book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his step. We just always need to remember this, that men are incapable of determining what is right and best on their own. It's never been possible, and it's certainly not possible in our day and time. Jesus very famously said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I won't take time to highlight all the definite article usage in that passage, but there's plenty of it, right? It's the straight gate, it is the way, it, uh, and so forth. There is just one way. And when we say that, we're saying what the Bible says, even though people don't like it. Here's another famous statement from Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know, that's a very exclusive statement if you stop to consider it. When Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but me, I'm the only way, then that automatically excludes vast numbers of people in our world today. For instance, that excludes the, the, all the Muslims because they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. They don't believe that you have to come to the Father through Him. It excludes the Jews who don't believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. It, it excludes in the Eastern world. It excludes all the, the Buddhists and the Hindus and so forth. They are all excluded. And so uh, those people are not accurately following the the pattern uh, of righteousness taught in the Bible, therefore, they are wrong. And again, uh, although in our world today it's not considered politically correct to say so, we just have to point out there is a right way and other ways are wrong. But when we do that, some are going to say that's self-righteous and it's not. That's not what self-righteousness is. It's not self-righteousness to believe that one has to live in a certain way in order to have the hope of heaven. You know, if you state this, uh, even a lot of religious people that you're acquainted with will argue that we are claiming that we can earn our salvation. If you're saying that one has to live a certain way in order to have the hope of going to heaven when they die, then someone is almost certain to say, well, that's a self-righteous view. You're suggesting that you could earn your salvation, that you could earn your way into heaven. And we're not saying that at all. Absolutely not. We do not believe that you can earn your way to heaven. But we are saying, the scriptures plainly say, that there's things that we must do. 
in Moses' final address to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, verse 25, he says, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all the commandments, uh, all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Notice, it will be righteousness, what? Observe all the commandments. Now, we understand that this law that Moses was recounting to the children of Israel at this time is not the law we live under. That Old Testament law of Moses has been superseded. We now live under the law of Christ. We understand that. But notice what Moses says. This will be righteousness. What? What will it be, Moses, if you observe all the commandments, if you do what the God has told you to do? There are things that we must do. Uh, he says, do them just like I said to do them. That's always been the way God has dealt with his people. That's, that, uh, that has not changed. And so when we say there are some things you've got to do, to be right with God, we're just repeating what the Scriptures say. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Notice, who is righteous? Here's the question. The answer, he that doeth righteousness, with emphasis on the doing. He that doeth righteousness uh, is righteous. Do you see it? There's plainly something that you have to do to be right, to be righteous, to be right with God. But when we say that, there are people who are going to come back real quickly and say, Oh, yeah, well, you're just preaching a doctrine of self-righteousness. No, we're just saying what the Bible says, right? Let me make one more point here. Again, we're emphasizing what self-righteousness is not. It is not self-righteous to say there's one way that's right and other ways are wrong. It's not self-righteous to say there's certain things you have to do in order to have a hope of heaven. But I would also argue that it is not self-righteousness when we express, express concern about and when we speak out against sin. You know, I think it's our place, our duty, our responsibility to speak out against the, all the evil and wrongs and sin that are becoming so prevalent. They, they always have been, but it seems like they're exponentially growing in our society. For instance, uh, in this modern day, who would have imagined it just a few short years ago? But when we speak out against homosexuality, people say, oh, well, yeah, you're just being self-righteous about that when you judge the, the, the homosexual. Or when we teach God's truth about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, or when we urge that we as the people of God must dress modestly. When we condemn social drinking, when we say that modern dancing is sinful, as a defense, a lot of people who engage in those kind of things are going to come right back and say, well, you're just self-righteous. When you speak out against those things, you are just being self-righteous. But God's faithful people have always spoken out against the sin around them Look in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, famous long chapter in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Here the psalmist is torn up about the fact that the people around him were not living right. He was concerned. The people, the, the, the faithful people of God have always been concerned about the wickedness in the world. And they have spoken out against it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 7, God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing 
vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Notice that it's talking about Lot, and it identifies him as a righteous man. So here's righteous Lot. What was true of Lot? Now, there were a lot of problems with Lot. We recently studied him in our Wednesday night class. Lot did a lot of things that were wrong, but he's identified here as a righteous man. And notice, he was vexed. His righteous soul was vexed from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He was living in a wicked place. He was living in the city of Sodom. And he was vexed, terribly, horribly troubled by all the evil that was around him. It's not wrong. In fact, it is proper to be very concerned and to speak out against the evil of the world around us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're supposed to speak out. That's what God wants us to do. We are not being self-righteous when we speak out about the evils around us. And so, again, I just want to highlight that a lot of times when people use this terminology and when they might accuse you or me of being self-righteous, they're not actually using the terminology properly. They're not being accurate. It is not self-righteous to say there's a right way and a wrong way. It's not being self-righteous to, when you say there are certain things you have to do to go to heaven. It's not being self-righteous when you express some concern and speak out against the sins around us in our evil world. Well, what is self-righteousness then? From, from a biblical perspective, how would we define self-righteousness? Well, first of all, let me suggest to you that self, self-righteousness is when we trust in our own meritorious works. In the text that Dan read for us at the start of our service this morning, in Luke 18, beginning verse 9, notice what this parable says. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that, that they were righteous. In other words, here are people who... They really were self-righteous. They imagined themselves righteous. Right? So this is, a good, this is a good place to look, right? If we want to define self-righteousness accurately, here's a wonderful place to look because Jesus is going to tell a parable that actually describes someone who is self-righteous. So uh, he goes on. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I think that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as a publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, stop there, because we're, we're, we're going to talk about this guy as the self-righteous character in this parable, right? Did you notice what he did? He's self-righteous. Jesus is telling a story to describe someone who is self-righteous. And he describes this Pharisee. And notice, he even enumerates some of the things he was doing. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Look at me. Look at the good things that I have done. And so, uh, in this case, we see that a self-righteous individual is one who thinks he's doing it all okay. He's bragging about his accomplishments, right? That, that he is even, uh, you know, announcing here uh, the good that he had done. The truth of the matter is, uh, as Isaiah said in chapter 64, verse 6, but we are all an unclean thing. All our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So what about our righteousness? What about our meritorious works? 
He says, they're just like filthy rags. You know, if you do any time, if you spend any time studying that text and maybe looking deeply into the meaning of those words, that's a pretty gross thing. It, it doesn't come across maybe so clearly in the English translation of it, but these filthy rags were pretty horrible, nasty things that you didn't want to touch. You know, every once in a while, you, you, you know, there's something that you don't want to have anything to do with. I, I heard someone recently describing something and he said, you know, sometimes we talk about uh, a, uh, a dumpster, you know, you know that, that's a mess. That's a total mess. That's like a dumpster or a dumpster fire. This guy said, that's like the juice in the bottom of the dumpster. Uh, I, I just tried to describe something particularly horribly awful. That's what this is. When he says our righteousness, what we do, what we earn, our, what we meritoriously try to accomplish. He said, that's like filthy rags to God. That's not going to earn you salvation. That's why we need to see that. The, the Pharisee in that parable said, look at me. Look at the wonderful things I've done. I'm, I'm righteous based upon all these things that I have accomplished for the Lord. If you think that you are meritoriously going to earn a right standing with God and heaven in eternity, then that's self-righteousness by definition. Here's the way uh, that we ought to view ourselves. This is the proper understanding uh, of uh, of this frequently misused text, by the way. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, By grace you say through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. What kind of works? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by the kind of works that we can brag about. Look at what I have done. There are no works like that. That's what the Pharisee in that parable, we're going to go back to that parable in a minute, but that's what the Pharisee was trying to do, right? He was trying to say, look at me. Look what I've done. He was boasting. Would you agree with me that the Pharisee in that parable was boasting? That's not how you get right with God. You, you do not get right with God by doing things that you can brag about as though you were earning or meriting your salvation. And if you try to do that, then you are self-righteous. Okay? Now again, that's not saying there's nothing to do. We already pointed that out. The scripture clearly says there are things that we must do. But the things that we do do not earn us salvation. And any mistaken idea that you might have that you are racking up points toward your earned salvation, that's just wrong. You're not going to earn your salvation. There are no meritorious works of that nature. There's no works that you can brag about and say, look what I have done. But that's exactly what the Pharisee was doing. He was self-righteous. Jesus told that story to define self-righteousness. And the Pharisee was trying to trust in his own meritorious works. That's self-righteousness if you do that. Also, self-righteousness is when we try to justify ourselves by comparing to others. I want you to go back to that parable again just briefly. Notice, again, so his first effort at at self-righteously justifying himself was to say, look at all the good things I've done. But also, he said, I'm not as other men are. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I mean, I even like this publican guy over here. And so, again, his justification was based on what I've done and the fact I'm not as bad as other people are. You know, that's pretty shaky ground if you stop to think about it, trying to justify yourself on the basis of being better than someone else. I I, I want to argue that 
effectively everybody in the world could do that. Everybody in the world can find someone worse than they are. If all I have to do to be right with God is to say, is to find someone that I would break worse than me, practically everybody can do that, right? <laughs> I've, I've, I've said this before, but theoretically, there's this one worst guy in the whole world. I mean, he, he is just the worst. That is, but everybody else except him can say, I'm better than someone else. That doesn't justify you, right? But if you think that it does, if you think you're good because you can point to someone who's worse than you are, then that is self-righteousness. And then finally, let me suggest to you again, we, we want to get this right, right? We hope everybody would get this right. If you're going to throw out this accusation that someone is self-righteous, at least do so accurately. We talked about what self-righteousness is not, but the Bible tells us that self-righteousness is when you're trying to trust your own meritorious works, when you're trying to justify yourself by comparing yourself to someone else. Now, I got one last point I want you to make, I want to make to you about self-righteousness, and this one I don't think people would generally acknowledge, but it is self-righteousness when we reject God's instructions concerning what is right and substitute our own rules. Look with me at Romans chapter 10, beginning verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, stop right there for just a minute. Paul was praying that they might be saved, which what would that tell you, right? They're not in a saved situation right now. He said, I'm praying that they might be saved, but they're not right now. I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So there is something identified as God's righteousness. These people that Paul was talking about were ignorant of God's righteousness, but what they were doing, going about to establish their own righteousness. I want to tell you that that passage describes the overwhelming majority of religious people in our world today. They haven't concerned, it's not because they couldn't know, but they haven't concerned themselves to know what God's righteousness is. God's righteousness is described in the Word of God, right? But they have gone about to establish their own righteousness. And we know that various religious groups, even many that, that exist right here in our own community, they actually legislate and pass laws and rules. They have their conventions and their assemblies and their synods in which they actually propose rule changes and they vote on them. What are they doing? They're going about to establish their own righteousness. It's not God's righteousness. We wouldn't have to vote on God's righteousness. That's already revealed in the Scriptures, right? We don't have to vote on that. That's been around for a long, long, long time. But when we want to set up our own rules, then we're not, we're not following God's righteousness. We're establishing our own righteousness. Now think about that for a minute. Concentrate on our own righteousness. Wouldn't that be, if it's our own righteousness, wouldn't you also be able to say synonymously that's self-righteousness? When we set up our own rules, our own righteousness, we are self-righteous. And so I would suggest to you that an awful lot of people in the world today are, they are guilty of self-righteousness 
if we understand that when you substitute your own rules for God's rules, that is, by definition, self-righteousness. There are a lot of people religiously that are identified thus. All right. I hope we've got a good handle on the notion of self-righteousness and what it really is. And let me conclude with just one last verse. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul's intention for himself was this, to be found in him not, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what Paul wanted for himself, and that's what we ought to want. Not self-righteousness. You know, we go about trying to justify ourselves, but that doesn't prove anything. We want to be righteous with the righteousness that is of God taught in His Word. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say this, this morning. Hope it's helpful. Hope we got a really good handle on the meaning of that common terminology that people don't commonly understand. I hope our study's been helpful this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be encouraging us all to make sure you're right with God. You know, this righteousness is just the state of being right, okay? That's not, that's not a, some kind of mysterious church word. To be righteous is just to be right. Are you right with God this morning? Uh, if you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, we would urge you to make that decision. That puts you right with God. If you, if you are an accountable sinner, you've not obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, you should do that. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been living up to it, you've not been faithful as a child of God, you need to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.